You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, November 28th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Film News Writer and Box Office Analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, so uh, this past week was the Thanksgiving holiday. If you've been living under a rock, uh, we, we didn't have episodes. Uh, so I want to talk about what, what we've been up to. Like, Ryan, what, what did you do for Thanksgiving? Anything interesting? Uh, so I, I most of my family's in Arizona because, you know, and I live in Austin. And so I generally choose to go home for Christmas, not Thanksgiving. So what I did is this is my first uh, Chris, uh, Thanksgiving with my current girlfriend. So we met up with a couple of friends who stayed in town and did like a small, I guess what you would call like a Friendsgiving sort of thing. And uh, and I cooked the turkey, which, uh, if I may say so, turned out pretty good. 
And uh, yeah, it was great. It was just a, so I just watched a bunch of football and ate food with friends. It was perfect. Yeah, we usually do a Friendsgiving here, but a lot of our friends uh, recently had children or, you know, they're just like out of town. Uh, so this year it was going to be uh, Kitra and I by, my, uh, by ourselves. And who wants to cook all that food for for two people? So we um, did what I always do. I waited until the last minute and I opened up um, Open Table to see what kind of restaurants were open on Thanksgiving to for a Thanksgiving meal. And uh, among the list, Ryan, was Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> no kidding. There's still Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, that's right. There is There is the one in Vegas still. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There, there's one in Hollywood, and they offer a turkey Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving, which I thought was just so ridiculous. And I asked Ketra, like, would you like to go over this? And she was like, would I? So we went to, <laughs> we went to Hard Rock Cafe on Thanksgiving. It was actually kind of depressing. Um <laughs> But, uh, oh, I would assume so. I yeah. I worked, I got to tell you, for many years, I worked at a Golden Corral, and I worked every Thanksgiving. I worked there, I think, five oh. Thanksgivings in a row. The funny thing is uh, the, the food was actually pretty good. They had, like, a Thanksgiving plate with all, like, you know, like, stuffing and uh, sweet potato and turkey and all that stuff. And the, the food was actually pretty good. But, like, I looked around me, and, like, everybody was just eating, like, the normal, like, hard rock, you know, fried chicken wings and stuff like that we were like the only two people eating the uh the special thanksgiving uh meal but anyways uh enough about that i did after that we went and saw glass onion at universal city walk and uh i know you saw this uh a couple weeks ago uh yeah i did actually see glass onion uh but, but i guess before i say what did you think of it I liked it a lot. Uh, I, you know, Ryan Johnson is my jam, uh, typically. And I, I love these Agatha Christie style murder mysteries. It, I did like Knives Out a little bit better. This does feel bigger to, uh, and kind of meandering at times. Like it's just like stuff's. You know, there's a lot of cameos and a lot of stuff in there that, like, feels like, oh, why not, like, cut some of this out and then maybe have, like, a two-hour film? But, um... Uh, yeah, I you know, what's weird, I really liked it a lot, but but Knives Out has slowly become one of my most, like, rewatched movies. Um, I really love Knives Out, but, but um, yeah, I felt similarly. Most people see... A lot of what I'm seeing is people seem to like Glass Onion more... And I was starting to feel like I was in the minority of like really liking it, but not quite as much as Knives Out. Because I had some similar things where I just felt like the it's clearly a much more expensive movie. And I get that that sort of suits what the movie ultimately is. But it also felt like them just spending money at times where like the first one felt very appropriate. To, I, you know, so I don't know. So I, I felt a little bit of that. But but ultimately, very good movie. And if we got one of these every few years, I'd be very happy. Oh, me too. Uh, I would, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I'd would be sad if Ryan Johnson spent the rest of his career just making, uh, you know, Knives Out uh, sequels, but I would also be quite happy with it as well. I, I was surprised that um, I hadn't watched any of the trailers or anything for this movie, and that's not typical. I just knew I was going to see it, and, I, you know, it, it being a mystery, I was like, you know, I'll just watch the full thing when, when I get to see it. And I was kind of surprised at how relevant the Edward Norton character is he's kind of like a Elon Musk character. And it's, it's, it, it feels like it hit at the perfect time. Like they timed it completely right for that to be relevant. 
genuinely staggering timing as far as like like it feels like an you know how they make episodes of south park like within a week or two to make them as relevant as possible it sort of feels like they they did that with this on complete accident it was shockingly relevant yeah um and the other thing i wanted to say i i saw over the weekend is i saw guardians galaxy the christmas special on disney plus uh which you know, isn't as good as the movies. It's not going to be. It's a Christmas special. But I think when you compare it to against other Christmas specials, it, it's probably the best Christmas special of all time. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was oh, delightful. That's a that's a bold statement. I was with you for a second. Wait, wait, wait what's a better Christmas special? Well, I don't know. I'd have to really think about that. But that is a bold statement. Um, you're pu- you're putting this side by side with like Star Wars, the holiday special, which is. Okay, God that's awful. but that's like the worst. So like that's I mean you're not you know, but no, but I'm with you. I I'm largely with you in that. Like I watched it last night, and for me it was like, it is a forty minute holiday special with Marvel characters about like trying to give Peter Quill like some meaning of Christmas back. Like because I've seen some people sort of talk about it like it was an underwhelming MCU thing, and I'm like. I don't know what you were expecting. It's a holiday special. Like it, it it's very well-meaning and sweet and does exactly what it set out to do. It, it, and so, you know, it didn't like knock my socks off or anything, but it is exactly yeah. what it is marketed as. And it is exactly what it's supposed to be. Okay. I pulled up a list of the best Christmas specials from Time Out magazine. And some of these, I don't, I don't agree. Are, is How the Grinch the Soul Christmas a Christmas special? Yeah, I would, would argue could... that though, especially because especially because they're played like every single year, you know, like on I, I would say like Grinch and Rudolph are holiday specials, I would argue. Okay. If you if you include those, then I'm I take back the best holiday special of all time. But if you're you know, if you're comparing it against like the Lego Star Wars Christmas special or, you know, Emmett Auger Otter's Jug Band Christmas or uh I'm trying to think what else. Uh Christmas of Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> sure. I would say, though, that Emmett Otter's, if you've never seen, you can it's find good. them easily. The, the, no, it's good, but the Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas outtakes, if you've never seen those, they are some of the funniest things you will ever see. Because there's this one scene where they just can't get it right, and the puppeteers have to keep reacting to the scene, even though it's not going well and it is just genuinely amazing uh so if you can find those outtakes you should be able to easily on youtube highly recommend it yeah i'm looking at a a lot of those things on this list now i would say it's better than a lot of them like mariah carey's magical christmas special or black mirror white christmas so again i don't watch a lot of i don't watch a lot of this stuff so i don't have a lot to compare it to but but I, I do think if you're comparing it against uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Charlie Brown Christmas or Frosty or The Grinch, then yes, it's it's not better than, than... yeah, because because Charlie Brown Christmas would be my number one personally. But yeah, um, but anyways, go see it Disney Plus. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on it other than uh, it was fine? No, it's 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 pretty harmless. Like it does. I mean, it does weirdly drop a couple of pretty big MCU nuggets. Like it, it, there are a couple of things in there where you're like, oh, they just sort of threw that out there. Uh, cause there, there's some big, big things in there, but, but, but like other, you know, uh, it, it looks pretty good. Like I'll say that like production value wise, it looks really good. Yeah. Uh, did, um, do you think they built that set just for the special or do you think that is part of Guardians of the Galaxy volume three? 
Oh, it reeks to me of, it reeks to me of they repurposed a ton of Guardians 3 stuff for this. Yeah. Um, Which is not a bad thing. Like, that's smart from a production standpoint. But that's, I I very much get the sense that's what a lot of this was. Yeah. Uh, Did you watch anything over the Thanksgiving break? I actually watched a lot of what you watched. Uh, I, I was supposed to go see the Fablemans, but then I ended up having to bail on that. So I'm going to see that tonight. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but no, I pretty I pretty much watched what you watched. I was. Uh, did I watch anything else? Oh, I bought I, I mean, I bought some Blu-rays on uh, black like black, early Black Friday deals. So I rewatched um, Smoke and Aces on 4K, which what a fun movie that still is. Uh, looks real good on 4K, too. That's about that's about all I got. Yeah, uh, I was supposed to see the Fablemans, uh, but I, we went out to eat, and like our, our tickets for were for like 10 p.m. or something. And I was like, "Oh, after yeah. the like, you know, half an hour of trailers, and then how long is that movie? Two and a half hours or something? It's like two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, we, we're not gonna get home till two a two a.m. I'm tired. Yeah, you get all that. You get all that hard rock Thanksgiving in you. <laughs> <laughs> sitting, in, sitting in your stomach like a rock. I did finish, finally, me and my girlfriend were slowly working through uh, Cabinet of Curiosities, the Guillermo del Toro show. So we watched all eight episodes now, the the horror anthology on Netflix. Um, I would say like four of the eight were really good, which is a pretty good hit ratio for a, for a, um, a horror anthology. And one of them was one of the most unpleasant things I've watched in a long time. But uh, But pretty good stuff. Good to hear. I'm going to have to check that out. I, I was curious about that because, you know, I like Guillermo del Toro, but it kind of almost seemed like one of those things that like it could go either way. It, it's, it was like based off a museum ex- exhibition that he did and also like a book that he did of like his collection. So it was like it felt like one of those things where it's like uh, um, Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> I mean, like J.K. Rowling made this book that was never supposed to be this movie, and it turned out to be this series of movies that ended up being horrible. Uh, and it feels like that the same thing happened with this GDT thing, where like he made this museum exhibition and this book, and it was never supposed to be an anthology series, right? I mean, I think it worked out, but again, it's like any horror anthology; it's not going to bat a thousand. So for me, I felt like the collection of filmmakers he put together and the stories that sort of, they didn't overextend these stories either. They're all shorts and they're all timed. Like they're not, you know, some of them are like 42 minutes. Some of them are about an hour. So they kind of time them out to what they're supposed to be. So you don't feel like you're pulling taffy. Um, But yeah, like, so the ones that are good are really good. And, and, uh, and they're kind of stories that only really suit that format. So I sort of like that they made use of the format, but I do see your point. I will just say it does feel like they did it with like, Okay, there's enough reason to do this. Let's do it. Okay, I'm gonna have to check it out. Uh, but let's jump into the news. Let's t- let's talk about the box office. We haven't talked about that in quite a bit because last Monday, when I talked to you, Ryan, it was all about Bob Iger and Disney. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we have a bunch of box office to talk about. We have Thanksgiving and also the weekend. So I guess let's start things off with uh, Thanksgiving, which had. <laughs> Wakanda Forever and Glass Onion are the two big yeah, movies. Yeah, so I I have a question. Do you want to go over the full five day numbers, or do you want to just go over the the weekend? Because I tend to think the five day numbers good over a holiday weekend. Oh yeah, That's let's my feeling. Yeah, let's talk about the five day. Okay, so understand that this is the full five day. These numbers I'm going to throw at you. This is the full. 
you know, because a lot of movies come out like Wednesday, Thursday for the for the Thanksgiving holidays. So so we're going to go over the the full full five day here. So uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, no surprise there. Top the charts in its third weekend, another sixty four million dollars. Uh, it's doing real well. It's at six seventy five point five worldwide. Uh, a billion is very much out of sight now. Uh, you know, let's remember it's not getting released in China where the original Black Panther made quite a bit of money. Um, so I would say, you know, it's probably going to top out 850, 900 million is what I'm guessing at this point, but that's really good for an almost three hour movie about grief. Uh, you know, but, uh, but really the, the bigger stories were the other movies that came out this weekend and, um, pretty mixed bag. Um, uh, Disney uh, also entered the fold with an animated original called Strange World, and you would be forgiven for having no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, the movie had a production budget pegged anywhere. Be I was going to say, I, I saw so many people in my Twitter feed commenting that they didn't even know that Disney was releasing this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was about two weeks ago. I think I put a message in Slack, and I didn't even realize it was coming out this soon. And I was like, because I knew, because I thought the first trailer looked pretty cool. And I was like, oh, no, like there's been no marketing for this. People have no idea this is happening. And sure enough, uh, a movie with a budget said to be between one hundred and thirty five and one hundred and eighty million dollars grossed just eighteen point six million dollars over that full five day frame. What's Ooh. worse, it made just a little over nine million internationally. So you're talking a worldwide rollout of well below thirty million dollars. Uh, this is going to be one of the biggest losers ever for a Disney animated movie, if not the biggest loser ever, uh, right up there with Treasure Planet, uh, one of the most notorious flops in Disney's history almost 20 years ago to the day. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, so, yeah, the estimates right now are that it's going to lose $100 million in its theatrical run, which is gargantuanly bad. Um, no two ways about it. It's real terrible. Um it's multifaceted. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, it, it, it flopped marketing. Uh, uh, it's only got a B cinema score, which is very low for Disney. Um, you know, it, it uh, animation has been devalued by Disney quite a bit with Raya and the last dragon and the last three Pixar movies going straight to Disney plus Lightyear bombed. So, you know, there, there isn't a lot of momentum for animation right now. The budget was too high. We can go on and on, but this is really bad. Very bad result for Disney. Um, I don't know if you saw it or anything, Peter, but I. Oh, no, I didn't see it. But what is the lesson that you think Disney should take from this box office bomb? Disney, Disney's legacy is an animation. And, and, and I've been saying it a bunch. I thought it was so stupid of them to devalue animation, particularly Pixar during the pandemic. Um, you know, so, so I understand some of those movies needed a home, but. But when you set that price at free, you know, you're not helping anything. And I'm not saying Strange World would have made a lot of money otherwise, but I'm saying that you have you have made Disney animation a lesser entity in the eyes of the general public, I think. And it's getting harder and harder to get people to turn out for original stuff. So, you know, I think that, you know, you made it extra hard by saying, you know, hey, animated movies are free now. Yeah. Uh, but how do you fix that? Because they did release this in theaters. Like they didn't like dump this on Disney Plus. They did take, you know, your advice here. <laughs> they, they were listening to our podcast and they're like, Ryan says release it in theaters, we're gonna release it in theaters and it bombed. So like what's it gonna be? Like, are they just gonna have to like do that for a couple of years before I, I think that's the thing is you have to commit to climbing out of that hole. 
And, yeah. and, you know, but I also think the other thing here is that, you know, you look at Illumination, you know, they, they can keep their animated films under a hundred million dollars and that's a big key to their success. Uh, I'm not saying that you can necessarily expect to make every animated movie that cheap and Disney works in a different way, but if this budget really did climb to near $180 million, that's way too expensive. Full stop, it's too expensive for an original, so I think you need to look at maybe trying to rein those budgets in a bit and and sort of, yeah, you have to you have to look at this as a marker of, oh yeah, we maybe really did hurt ourselves. And now Bob Iger has to sort of really redouble and recommit to, we are theatrical and we have to retrain the audience that these are worth showing up for. Um, I'm not a studio head. I don't have easy answers, but, but I think that, yeah, this is a signal that they're heading in the wrong direction in a big, bad way. Yeah. It's interesting too, because like, it's like, who is to blame here? You can't blame, Bob Chapek for, well, I mean, I guess you can blame him in the way that you're blaming him for the release, the distribution side of things, but like for, for, for his, yeah, for his distribution stuff. Yeah. But like I said, this one is not, it's not going to get laid at because every, sometimes it's obvious, right? Like sometimes you can point in one direction and say this obviously was this, but this to me is like a combination of like 20 different things that added up to a house of cards that fell down. That's my take on it. Yeah. But I, I was just saying like, you know, animated movies take four to five years uh the, for, you know process of developing to release so this is something that was like under you know Iger's reign uh this you know got greenlit not 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 that Iger's the one that greenlights it. it obviously these companies like Walt Disney Animation Pixar are, are, operate uh autonomous of you know the the major uh the 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 the, the big uh the big mouse but um i don't know it, it's interesting because i feel like we're, we're also starting to see we're, we're seeing what you you said ryan where we're seeing um you know the effects of what happened with the pandemic and the decision to dump stuff on disney plus but i think we're also finally seeing the effects of you know lassiter not being uh in charge of the animation uh section of of disney and pixar and um I don't know. I, I'm not sure if either of those companies knows what they're doing post Lasseter. Mm. I mean, they've had some success. I'm not 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 going to say they didn't have success, some success, but like, yeah, I don't I don't really want to dip my toes yeah. in the Lasseter pond right now. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I would argue Pete Doctor and was it Jennifer Buck who was the other person that they put uh, Jennifer in? Lee. Jennifer Lee. I would argue they. Yeah, this is a whole other conversation. Let's not let's not even go there. Oh um, yeah, yeah, we got, yeah. I don't want to get into the Lasseter stuff. I'm I'm just saying it, it feel it feels like the le the current leadership is still trying to figure out what they're trying to do with Pixar and Walt Disney Animation, and it's I don't know. I I, I feel like if you if you're looking to point fingers anywhere, it's probably the the uh, those people because it it just doesn't feel like you know especially with Lightyear and this and it, they just had a bunch of stuff that yeah didn't seem it seems like half baked. I guess. Sure. I, look, I liked Lightyear a lot. Lightyear was a bit, a bit confounding to me on some level, but, yeah. but I blame that more on the devaluing of Pixar and overestimating the value of that spinoff. But anyway, yeah. Um. Let, let's uh, let's keep going because, uh, do you want to do, you want to go in order here in terms of uh placing on the charts, or do you want to do like flops first, then talk about. <laughs> something else yeah let's talk about had... flops first let's talk about okay, the fablemans that's the movie i wanted to see but didn't get to see and i should have yeah. seen it because it needed my help 
It needed your help. Uh, so uh, the Fableman, Steven Spielberg's latest, uh, expanded greatly after a pretty successful limited run. Uh, it was in 638 theaters this weekend and made just $3.1 million over the full five-day frame. Uh, this is Steven Spielberg we're talking about. And uh, yeah, his latest, albeit an original adult-skewing movie, but one that has garnered glowing reviews, uh, made just $3.1 million. Uh, and, you know, this is through Universal Pictures. Certainly they were maybe looking at a bigger expansion, but and maybe they still will. I don't know. But these numbers do not indicate that that expansion is going to be incredibly successful. Um, the per screen average isn't bad, but but it's also not great. Um, and so, you know, the movie's got a $40 million budget. I mean, I just don't see it getting, you know, you, you imagine if you're, if you're universal, you greenlit that hoping it maybe gets to a hundred million worldwide or something. Um, it's not going to get anywhere near that. And so, yeah, r brutal, brutal. I mean, we've seen, you know, movies like Tar, we've seen movies like Till, we've seen all these movies, these award season movies, not pulling in the numbers. She said bombed real bad last weekend. Uh, Bones and All didn't do very great this weekend. You know, what, you know. What so do you I think this is going to end at? Like, how how big uh, can this movie get? Oh, I don't know. I I don't even want to venture a guess at this point. I, I it could be like as bad as ten million domestic, wow. maybe. You know, like it, but it depends on legs during award season. It depends on so much. It, it you know, I I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to declare anything yet, and I don't know what the international appetite for something like this is. And especially because the international rollout is through like March of next year. So it's got, you know, four months or so of, of runway. So I don't know. Um, this really feels to me like it's uh, Steven Spielberg's Almost Famous. And that movie did almost $50 million at the box office. It, it, it's shocking to me that we are, you know, what, like, I guess tw 22 years. Oh, my God, I'm old. Uh, 22 years yeah, later, no, and Sp Steven Spielberg might not get, you know, one one third of the you know, that Cameron got with his, his well, personal. And not only that, it's a, it's a bad look that like, cause again, we got to go last year around this time, West side story bombed and made like 75 million worldwide against a hundred million dollar budget. So this is Steven Spielberg doing a really recognizable, very seemingly crowd-friendly remake of a beloved musical that didn't get the audience it needed. And now an original, a guy who used to be able to really put meat in seats with originals, maybe the greatest director to ever do it, you know, not being able to pull in anyone really. Um, you know, so, so, I mean, that's bad, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot has improved this year at the box office, but this is where we're just losing it, you know, in terms of studios are not going to keep making these award season friendly, adult friendly movies if they're not making money. And, you know, that's, it's not great. Um, speaking of that, uh, devotion also opened this weekend. Uh, and that is the new war movie, which we talked about a little bit last time because I had seen it with Jonathan Majors. Glenn Powell takes place during the Korean War about the first African-American uh, naval pilot uh, in the Navy. Uh, it made nine million over the five day frame. And, and I felt kind of OK about that until I discovered that it had a 90 million dollar budget. I thought maybe this was a 45, 50 million dollar movie. It is a 90 million dollar movie. Uh, ouch. <laughs> so that's that's Sony's Columbia Pictures taking a big fat hit there. Um, I don't have a lot to say about that other than bad timing I, in the aftermath of, of Top Gun Maverick. I mean, ouch. I mean, that that hurts. That hurts bad. So 
um you know yeah pretty bad pretty bad stuff yeah that's unfortunate uh do we have any good news at the box office well it's a mix um Glass Onion, uh, which we were just talking about, uh, Netflix is uh, so so. Let's rewind the clock just a tiny bit. Knives Out makes well over three hundred million dollars in twenty nineteen uh, against a forty million dollar budget. It's like it's like one of those mid budget miracles, and kind of proves that Hollywood should not be ignoring the mid budget movie here. And um, and uh, but Lionsgate had a one picture deal, and 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 Ryan Johnson owned the rights to the screenplay outright. So. So when it came time for a sequel, he was able to to you know pick his path. Netflix paid four hundred and fifty million dollars for two Knives Out sequels. They outbid everybody else by a country mile, so there was no choice to be made there. Uh, but Netflix decided, hey, we've had a terrible, terrible year. Let's experiment with this whole make money with our movies thing. So they decided to release Glass Onion in uh, a little over six hundred theaters, and uh, for a one week only engagement. They're like, let's see how this does. Well, Netflix is not releasing official numbers, so let's be clear there. But Box Office Mojo does have estimates, and 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 that should get us in the ballpark. The movie made apparently $13.2 million over the five-day frame in under 700 theaters for a $19,000 per screen average, better than Black Panther this weekend. And that was with very little marketing. If Netflix had given this a full marketing campaign and a full theatrical push, it might have topped Black Panther this weekend. Uh, so, you know, there was a big appetite for this movie. And this is with people knowing it's going to be on Netflix in a few weeks. So, you know, Netflix is experimenting with theatrical. This first experiment went well. Will that encourage them to do more in the future? We can only hope. But, you know, it was movie. It, it put a lot of meat in seats. I can tell you that. How, how many theaters was it in? Under 700. So again, you're looking at a 19,000 per screen average. And for example, like Black Panther was in 4,200 screens this weekend. So, you know, it was a lot less, like something like six times less or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, like a, so the demand was very much there. Why, why wouldn't they, um, I don't know. Like it, it seems like if you can make this much money, I mean, this is like a anomaly, right? Like I don't think anybody, I don't think they're going to make this much money with their usual original movie crap that they release. But I mean, they could make this much money with the Martin Scorsese film. They could make this money with, do I mean like, it feels like if they're going to get into the top tier directors and, and have them make movies, why not have a couple weeks in the theater I mean, I guess I'm speaking to the choir here. You, you, you're, you've been no, you're, this for a while. look, you're with me, and and I'm and I'm just saying that like they they're seemingly leaving money on the table here because this is without much of a th this was without much of a marketing push at all. So you know, I'm just saying that like with the right audience friendly movie, and I've said this before, I don't think the idea is that Netflix will make profit in theaters, but I'm saying that they're going to cut into their bottom line an awful lot. If you had done a full theatrical rollout here. You know, if you could have gotten $60 million on, on a five day, you know, and then you maybe, and let's say maybe it gets to a hundred million through the life of whatever you give it a three or four week run. Well, then suddenly that $450 million deal that you made with Ryan Johnson looks a lot smarter because then your next movie set up to maybe make you another hundred million, you know, at the box office. So there, there suddenly you've eaten into that, you know, what you spent quite a bit. And then, and then you're setting it up for, 
you know, if you get more theatrical attention, you're almost certainly going to get more attention once it's on Netflix. And you're almost certainly going to get more award season attention that way. So and then you're making theaters happy. I just I, I fail to see any downside to this at all. Um, so, you know, I don't know that's up, that's up to Ted at Netflix, but, uh, I mean, if, unless he's just a complete stubborn fool, I don't see any reason to, to do this more in the future. I, I hope they do. I, I hope that we see more of this. How does this work with the theatrical window? Yeah. So that was the big issue for a long time is that theaters didn't want to agree to carry the movie if it was the short window, but in this case, it was pretty much a guaranteed hit. So, you know, this was the first time that they got like AMC, Regal and Cinemark all on board because it was just like, look, we'll agree to this week long, you know, thing because, I mean, you know, we're going to get we're going to make some money out of it. So why the hell not? But <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's generally the trick, right? Like Netflix has done some theatrical releases before, but it's more small scale token releases to qualify for awards or whatever. Um, you know, it, it's not it hasn't been on this scale before. So I think that, you know, that could be something that could be worked out down the line, but I really do think that this is something Netflix needs to explore. Yeah, for sure. Okay. That does it for today's slash home day. We, uh, did you want to plug your tales from the box office, which is kind of relevant? Oh yeah, sure. So this past weekend, I, like I said before, I generally try to tie it to something, uh, relevant. So I did knives out, uh, for this weekend's tales from the box office and just sort of going over how, you know, it, it was this kind of mid-budget miracle that, you know, just ahead of the pandemic made it look like, oh, wow, these mid-budget movies really can work. And then, you know, the pandemic happened. And and I actually imagine that was a lot of the motivator for Brian Johnson going to Netflix or whatever. But in any case, uh, you know, you can check out my latest Tales from the Box Office uh, on Slash Film right now about how Night is Out made a bunch of money. I do have that one question for you before we go, actually. Knives Out debuted to forty something million in its five day holiday release. So this movie, the the Glass Onion, you know, I mean, it, it did well, but not. I mean, obviously, it wasn't released in as many theaters. As no, well, that's the thing is you, you apples to oranges, Peter. There's no, there's no comparison here in terms of. But what's your question? I was gonna say, do you think if they had gone as hard as Lionsgate did with the marketing the but you know releasing as many theaters do you think they would have hit over that 41.4 million no question so that 41 just to give you some idea let's go back so over that five-day weekend 2019 knives out made 41.4 million in 3400 theaters frozen 2 was the number one movie that weekend with 125 million so there was absolutely room for both and so similarly you would have had black panther but knives out could have competed with that and and uh yeah if you if you just scale that up you know i mean yeah i think absolutely it, it, it would like i said i think it could have competed with black panther for the top spot so i you know i think you know you could have easily exceeded that 41 million dollar figure for sure it seems stupid to me that netflix is leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table that they literally could just have a few weeks of theatrical it's it, Netflix to me. Now it's getting into stubborn thinking mode. Um, I think that there's some ingratiated thinking there and I think they need to get away from that. Um, they're, they're budgeting, I, uh, budgeting on the whole binge model, which was like the thing that they kind of invented. And now like a lot of the shows are having like kind of like a two half season. 
kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, because yeah, and, and I just think the big thing is at this point you need to get new revenue streams in there, and and traditional theatrical is rebounded in a in a pretty significant way, and that could be another revenue stream, and simple as that. So. Okay. Well, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter link in the show notes. And uh, please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.slashfilm.com. Uh, rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we will see you tomorrow. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything you need for your next project today at Menards and save big money. LP SmartSide products are the number one brand of engineered wood siding. SmartSide trim and siding offers long-lasting performance and delivers the warmth and beauty of traditional wood. Save big money today at Menards and LP SmartSide products. Plus, visit Menards.com to view the weekly flyer and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big money.